If I was a cheesier presenter, I'd have written some kind of good evening joke about Unai Emery going to Aston Villa. But quite frankly, my Spanish isn't good enough to justify having a pop at a guy who speaks five languages. So we know he can talk the talk. Can he walk the walk in the Premier League? Or will he be walking the plank a year from now? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No walking the plank for my top tipping team today, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark Unai Emery has won four Europa Leagues. He's been involved in eight European finals. But being a good cup coach is different to sustained league success. What's your assessment of the appointment? Um, I don't know about you guys, but I was surprised by the appointment. Um, I seem to have missed the, the sort of chatter um, and the speculation surrounding him and and the potential position there. I'd, I'd obviously seen the news that they were chasing Pochettino and, and Tuchel, um, very different types, very different kind of coaches and, and mentalities, just in those two. And then you sort of switched to an Emery, which is yeah, pretty, uh, pretty different again. But um, I mean, first and foremost, there's been a lot of kind of speculation around his appointment and about his pedigree, suitability for the role. But um there's no doubt about it. He's a, he's a huge upgrade on Steve, upgrade on Stephen Gerrard and probably Dean Smith previously too. So, as you've already said, his CV is pretty glittering. He, if he gets buy-in from those players, I expect Villa to be competitive. I expect them to be capable. Um, he's a very demanding coach. So, you know, I think the time at Villarreal came to a, a kind of natural conclusion, really. Um, so <laughs> They don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the players maybe, but, um, you know, Villarreal, I mean, this is the thing you say about his success in the cup competitions, and he has excelled. But the question mark has always been around, you know, can he you know, hit par at, at very best in, in league campaigns? And you'd have to say at Villarreal, he probably hasn't hit par. He's probably underwhelmed in terms of the La Liga um, performances, whereas uh, the cup stuff has been superb. And if you ask a Villa supporter, would you be happy to sort of be marooned in mid-table, going nowhere, but have a, an enjoyable cup run or two, win a trophy? They'd absolutely take you uh, take you up on the opportunity. So I guess the bigger picture here for me is, is what Villa are trying to achieve and where they want to go and what's the project you know behind the scenes. Because we talk all the time about Brentford and Brighton being superbly run clubs, know exactly what they're doing. I'd even chuck in Leeds, Palace possibly too, where there seems to be sort of clarity over what they're trying to achieve and the direction they're travelling in. I don't really get the impression the impression that's the same case with Villa. It feels like the scattergun sort of transfer policy uh, that they employed over the summer. And, and then you get someone like Unai Emery who doesn't necessarily fit with the direction that they're going in in terms of the players at their disposal. So... You know, it seems like let's just get the best available option on the market right now and fit our long-term plans around him rather than kind of doing things vice versa. And look, Emery gets, I hope he gets much more respect this time around than he did last time at Arsenal because he is a, a terrific one-off tactician. But I still think there's uh, questions to be asked about his uh, achievements in, in league football. Um, and I think uh, an interesting kind of barometer might be um, comparing him and his achievements over the next 12 months to what Eddie Howe has done with Newcastle. I don't think the squads are worlds apart in terms of quality. Clearly, Newcastle have much deeper pockets to be able to sort of bring in star-studded players in the future. But I think that the depth and the squad right now is very similar to Newcastle. And we've seen Eddie Howe put Newcastle on the right sort of 
uh, path to progress. And I think the uh, we'll have to see something similar from Villa and, and Emery, really, to, to see if he's been a real success. But I think in terms of Villa supporters and what they want, they just want their team to be competitive, capable, see some of those key players perform to their ability, which we know they probably uh, haven't been doing so far this season, bar last weekend. Uh, and if they can get a decent cup run and even win a trophy, I mean, that'll be a huge, huge success in, in Feather in his cap. So, yeah, surprised by the appointment, but uh, eager to see how it plays out. Our very own answer to Rachel Riley, trader, tipster, maths enthusiast, Mark Stinchcombe is with us once again. Stinch, Emery nearly joined Newcastle before they turned to Eddie Howe, but he's not going to be in charge uh, for this trip to St. James's Park because of work permit issues. That's Brexit for you. Uh, so this is a really intriguing game anyway, isn't it? Because Newcastle have been absolutely outstanding so far. Yeah, in terms of football, um, enjoying a great season, sat in fourth with just one defeat in 12, which was a, a 98th minute goal away at Liverpool. So arguably, you know, very unlucky not to be uh, unbeaten. Um, they're possessing the best defence in the league with just 10 goals conceded. And 50% of those goals came in games against Man City and Liverpool. So clearly they're they're doing a, a lot of things right. You know, City and Liverpool, obviously two of the, the greatest teams in, in Europe. Their process is pretty decent as well. They're averaging the fourth most shots whilst conceding the, the eighth fewest. So um, tactically, they're, they're setting up quite quite well. Not the old Newcastle that we were kind of familiar with, with under Steve Bruce and Benitez. Obviously not with any much money to spend, but they deemed like the best way forward was literally, you know, defend and then we'll try and nick a goal the other way, whereas Newcastle are uh, tending to be proactive under Howe, which is, you know, good good to see really and is obviously conducive to, to more successful football and, and thus results. Uh, you obviously mentioned uh, Emery won't take over until the, the 1st of November. It's probably worth noting he once went a whole season with Sevilla without winning an away game. So it's probably good his first match isn't <laughs> isn't this yeah. weekend. Um, so it's still, I think I believe it's still Aaron Danks in charge, but I'm not going to read too much into, into that win against Brentford after months, obviously, of stuttering. Um, How must Gerard have felt about that, though? Can you imagine that? You've been struggling away for a year, uh, playing some awful football, and then you go, and they go and stuff Brentford like that. That must have felt like a slap in the face. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting in the team selection. So, like, you could probably describe Coutinho as Gerard's mate. Um, spent a lot of money on him, probably probably on the biggest wages at Villa Park. He started on the bench when Dia was, was selected uh, in, the, in the number 10 role. Uh, they bought Dian Donka from Wolves in the summer, but yet he hadn't even played, he hadn't even started a game. He made his debut uh, starting last weekend. They started Danny Ings as a central striker and played Ollie Watkins out wide. I don't think those things had happened under Gerard, so that was you know that's quite interesting. All of the chopping and changing Gerard had done, there's still obviously some room for for trying something else. But yeah, I'm not going to read too much into it, but I wouldn't be surprised. I, I won't. I don't think there'll be many changes to the eleven unless there's been injuries picked up or something. So the thing that I'm kind of focusing on is um, is is the Villa personnel it is Ashley Young at left back and Tyrone Mings at left centre half, who are both below Premier League quality I would say and Newcastle have uh, this new weapon that's appeared on the right forward line in Miguel Almiron who's enjoying a very fine season he's got um, what's he got 
six goals in his 12 games. Um, and I think he's going to absolutely relish coming up against uh, these two. Newcastle are four to five to, to win the match. Again, it's difficult really to read too much into that because, again, we've only really got one game of Villa to go off. We could look a bit longer term, but, you know, if the players are all of a sudden going to start playing for the manager don't think they were probably playing for Gerard towards the end. And it's difficult really to say whether that four to five is is correct. So happy just to use it as a guide. Um, but Almiron's nine to two to score, and I think that's quite chunky considering you know their their odds on to to win. He's averaging two point six shots per game this season. But the thing I like is one point eight are coming inside the area. So I think if you've watched Almiron a lot, you generally associate with him probably taking pot shots. Yeah. from outside the area. Whereas this season, I'd say Newcastle have been far more proactive. So as a result of that, they're higher up the pitch. So Almiron is higher up the pitch. I think his confidence is is uh, has snowballed, basically, with, with yeah. this run of, run of goals. You look at him last weekend, um, you know, picking up the ball, holding off um, Spurs, I think it was Sessegnon, holding off Sessegnon, then uh, beating uh, either Romero or Longley. And still having the composure to bring the ball back onto his left foot in a, in a tight area. So yeah, he seems absolutely up for it right now. And yeah, I think I think nine to two looks a, a nice bet. And what's lovely about Almiron as well is that the fans loved him even before this run of form, even when he was not scoring goals, not having assists. I think the work rate and the general kind of demeanour the fans really appreciated. I think even before the Man City game they had earlier in the season, there was a big flag uh, of Almiron, so that's always good to see. Uh, the delightful data doctor will see you now. Jake Oscarthorpe from InfoGoal has the numbers you need. Jake, I want to talk to you about Leicester City because... Finally, kick-started the engine by beating Leeds United 2-0 and Wolves 4-0. But now they're trying to race against the supercharged, sleek sports car that is Manchester City. Erling Haaland sitting pretty. 17 league goals on 11 uh, top-flight appearances. Rubbish. You should have at least 30 by now. Um, Foxes are 11 on the exchange to cause an upset and win the game. We generally, when we talk about Leicester City, talk about goals on this show. I'm guessing that might be the way to go again. It could well be, yeah. Um, but I'm taking a, a much more pro-Man City angle um, than just the goals. I think that they'll cover a minus one and a half handicap at the King Power um, for a few reasons. Leicester, you know, they've had a couple of good results recently. Kept three clean sheets, which is very un-Leicester-like. Um, but they're actually still really struggling to create chances, Um they scored four at Wolves last week from five shots, equating to 0.9 expected goals. Now, that just doesn't happen. Did that break um, your model? Did one of the they, robots keel over? They the were frazzled. Yeah, they, they <laughs> couldn't compute the fact that that had just happened. Um, and I think it was only a, um, a pot shot from distance that was the fifth shot. I think they'd scored all the first four shots in the game, which is just you know remarkable. You don't see that happening. And that, um, based on the Infogol fairness ratings, which calculates the... the well puts the actual score next to what the score should have been based on the quality of chances. Um, that's actually the lowest fairness rating we've had so far this season. So it was the most un- unjust result, if you like, a 4 nil away win. Um, not only because of Leicester creating next to nothing and hitting top bins with everything, but um, the fact that Wolves actually created over two expected goals themselves and, and failed to score. That's just really Wolves, though, isn't it? Isn't that it's it's like very Wolves, it's very Wolves and it's very Leicester um, in terms of conceding the chances and, and Wolves not obviously taking them. So 
Um, yeah, definitely not reading a lot into that game. And the game previous to against Leeds, I know they, they went up early 2-0, but they created little again, just 0.65 expected goals. So this is a team that are, well, you could say they're making the most of the chances. I would say that they're they're scoring at a rate above what, what would be expected and there will be some regression at some point during the season. Um, and against a Manchester City team that defensively are generally very, very solid, I think Leicester will struggle to score. And and, and as I've said, Leicester's defence is still a massive work in progress. It is improving. Um, they are tightening up a little bit. We've seen the underlying numbers um, get a little bit... They're on the decline from a defensive standpoint, which is good, but still not a a rate that we would expect to see from the Leicester team that we, from three, four years ago that were challenging for the top four. Uh, and City are an absolute juggernaut wherever they play right now. I know they, they weren't at the best in midweek against Dortmund. Um, a bit of rotation there with the group already pretty much sewn up. But in the Premier League, they've been excellent. Uh, 2.3 expected goals for created per game, which, yeah, I, I fully expect them to hit that total here against Leicester. Um, and yeah, the minus one and a half looks really good. And the other, I mean, I guess it would be clinching factor is that this season with Manchester City, when they do win matches, they do tend to win by a wide margin. They're keeping the foot on the gas when they go in front. Not like a couple of years ago where you saw them get in front 1-2-0 and then just sort of cruise and maybe conserve a bit of energy. This Man City team are going for the throat at the minute. They're, they really are. They're, they're, you've seen them rack up four, five, sixes um, and, and winning games very, very comfortably. So uh, they've won eight games so far this season in the league. All eight have seen this bet land. So if, if City are going to win, generally it comes by a two-goal margin. And I think that there's, yeah, there's a great chance of that happening again against what is a very vulnerable Leicester team. Mark, is that the angle you take or have you got a, a different view on this one? Yeah, slightly different. I'm pro City, obviously, but we've got basically the two teams who are top of the charts in the Premier League for goals per game. Leicester 3.75, Man City 4.27. Jake mentioned Leicester's recent clean sheet streaks of four and five, really, and and last weekend was was very fortunate to do so, losing the shot count 21-5. Danny Ward was man of the match, and they conceded nine shots in the opening 17 minutes of that game. So if you're doing that against the division's worst attack... um, you know, you're going to struggle against Man City if you give those numbers up. But, um, you know, I talk about what we talk about Leicester sort of taking their opportunities from low quality opportunities. Seven of their 21 goals in the Premier League this season have arrived from outside the penalty area, which could be, uh, you know, a stick to bash them with. But actually, take out those goals from outside the box, they've still scored 14 Premier League goals from inside the box. Um, now, Chelsea and Manchester United have each scored 16 Premier League goals altogether. So if Leicester are scoring 14 from inside the box, add those seven on from outside the box. It's not the biggest um, not sort of negative to sort of tarnish them with. And I think, you know, if you've got Barnes, Madison, Tielemans in that team, you're always going to have an, an opportunity with, with shots from range as well as in the boxes too. So um, I like what they've done recently. Uh, they seem to have changed tact. Uh, Wood Faze has made an impact, certainly at centre-half. And Didi and Evans could be back this weekend too. But um Ultimately, you're coming up against the, the best attack on the planet, you could say, and their record and results this season against teams outside the bottom three reads zero wins, two draws and seven defeats. Um, but I think we've seen in the past that they can cause big six teams problems. They do have that ability in the final third, and I do think they can cause City problems because stylistically, things have changed. They've gone for a 4-1-4-1 recently, uh, and against Wolves, I think it was a, a conscious decision to seed possession and play on the counter-attack. I think it's worth noting they've lost, well, they've not lost, sorry, they've they've won zero of eight across all competitions this season when they've had more ball than their opponents. But in the recent games against Forest, Leeds and Wolves, which they've won, 
they've had less possession. So it seems to be a conscious decision to now start playing on the counter-attack in transitions. And I think obviously they're going to have less ball in City. So I think stylistically this could suit them and they could cause City problems. Dortmund certainly did midweek. Brighton definitely did last weekend. Brighton got on the score sheet at the Etihad. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Leicester are more than capable of getting on the score sheet here, but ultimately City too strong for, for most teams anyhow. Away from home, they're averaging 16 shots per game, which is four more than the next best. Uh, and they're away record against bottom half teams since the start of 2020-21. 18 wins, three draws, one defeat. They rarely sort of slip up in these environments. Last season, this game ended 6-3 to Man City. Um, so if we can see something similar, that'd be fantastic. Uh, Leicester have scored in 19 of 25 home games since the start of last season. They've scored twice or more seven, in 7 of 12 this year, including away at Arsenal Spurs. And they should have done so at Chelsea, um, all of which saw them lose uh, and, and score. So, yeah, um, City defensively, I think they kept one away clean sheet in the league since the opening weekend. So... Um, whilst the numbers are, are impressive, um, I still think individually and collectively and stylistically, certainly in this sense, uh, they are potentially fragile to, to Leicester's counter-attack. So, yeah, I'm going to take the 7-5 to five on Man City to win and both teams to score. Is that counter-attack style against a team like Manchester City? Is that why Jamie Vardy tends to do OK against Manchester City? Because that's how he likes to play, isn't it? In transition where he can actually run in behind. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, wouldn't be too surprised if he came back into the team. I know Dak has started last week, but yeah, in the past, I think Vardy's got a fantastic record against City, hasn't he? And I think that's down to, to City's high press. And, you know, normally their defensive line is, is pretty high. And whilst he's getting on a bit, he does still have that pace and tenacity to to play on the shoulder and, and sort of flourish in these kind of positions and and counter-attack. So we'll see. But um, I, I'd be quite impressed with Dakar. So I'd be quite comfortable if he was the one leading the line. He's got pace himself. And uh, yeah. I think his all-round game is, is probably better than Vardy's right now, who's you know, not, not a bad option off the bench right now. Uh, Wolves are still looking for their new manager. George Mendes has got the roller decks out. He's, he's thinking, have I got any coaches left? Who can I push towards Wolves? They're uh, 19th in the Premier League at time of recording. They go to Brentford. Stinch the bees, you'd have to say justifiable favourites at 2.26. I still think Brentford are a funny team. I didn't expect them to go and get... Well, none of us, let's be honest, expected them to go and get smacked by Villa. A strange old team, aren't they? Yeah, very volatile. Um, I think that comes to, down to the fact that they they want to try and play football where possible. And sometimes I think you need to maybe apply a different template at times. So, for example, they were very good against Chelsea a few days earlier. Um, and then obviously against Villa last weekend, we're just all over the place. Uh, Newcastle away, another good example where they just gave away goals for fun, yeah. um, which is which is never ideal. Um, but at, at given the odds, uh, I want to oppose Wolves here, to be honest. Um, you can't put a number on confidence, but I feel Wolves' is, must be must be rock bottom. Um, you know, they failed to win 17 of their last 19 Premier League matches going back to the the end of last season and I mean we've already kind of covered a little bit but they must be as stunned as everybody else how you can lose a football match 4-0 after being after out shooting the opposition 21 to 5 but again I don't think that's going to do anything for confidence one bit I think the pressure is massively on Steve Davis who's randomly been given seems to have been given the job until after the World Cup because they can't find anybody to to take it Um, it seems a bizarre operation really to fire Bruno Lage but not have anybody lined up to take over which really you, you know the games in between that Lage has, has 
been gone since it's just been an absolute waste because if you got a new manager in he could already be tweaking things yeah. and getting players on on the on board with his ideas etc now they suspicion is that they thought they were going to get Hulin Lopetegui and then Lopetegui for personal reasons couldn't take it and had to step away I suspect that was the succession plan but I'm with you you'd have thought well if we can't get him what's plan b well somebody's lost plan b somewhere and it's all over the place yeah, because I think there was also talk about uh, Michael Beale, but I find that really funny because up until the beginning of the season, nobody would be even talking about Michael Beale. And, you know, Mark will tell you uh, more than anyone that QPR are overachieving right now. So it's kind of almost flavour of the month uh, approach. So that lacks, again, lacks a, a long term plan to it because, uh, you know, it's very it's very Watford-esque, if you like. You know, we'll give it Rob Edwards and then we'll sack him after a few games. Um, so, yeah, I think their, their long term planning is, is all over the place. I mean, you know, you're signing D- Diego Costa who's barely kicked a ball in, in a year um, to to you know, try and bridge the gap while, while your, your two main strikers are, are out injured. So, yeah, it's just, it's all very haphazard. Um, and, and you know, they, they've managed just five goals in, in 12 games, which which is not too dissimilar to what we've seen with, with Wolves. You know, we know they're not fantastic in terms of scoring hundreds of goals, but I think it's the fact their usual stubborn defence seems to be missing the organisation of, of Connor Cody. And again, that that's, again, that's come to back to bite them with the, the yeah, lack of planning. that worked out well, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, then to give him to a you know a relegation rival as well is just is just awful. It's kind of similar to Leeds, you know, loaning out Dan James to Fulham. Like, you know, why why would you be helping out um, you know, teams around you? I'm really hoping the uh, Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko Man City to Arsenal transfer comes back to bite City, but uh, probably not. But um, you know, Wolves have now conceded 18 goals in in 12 games and. Um, um, they've conceded at least two in five of the last six, which is obviously the end of the, the large era and, and the tenure of Steve Davis. And Steve Davis was a defender himself, so it's, it's maybe a little bit surprising. But again, I think massively missing that that Connor, Connor Cody influence. And, and Wolves have lost 10 of the last 13 uh, away Premier League matches. are talking about not winning games, but you know they're losing a lot of games as well. So yeah, I just feel... At the prices, you have to be with Brentford. And I think the advantageous thing here is you can back Brentford minus a quarter on the Asian handicap around about 1.95. So you, you get half your stake back if, if it finishes in a draw. And, um, you know, Brentford do their, tend to do their best work at home this season. Um, coming, coming into, um, Coming into this season off the back of last season, they were beaten in nine of the last 11 at home. They kept clean sheets in seven of them, which I was quite surprised to see, given the fact you've seen how... Um, how early David Rea has been with his Christmas presents. Um, but if they are managing to keep clean sheets, like it always gives you a huge platform for success because you know if you're not conceding, you're at the very worst going to draw football matches. Um, I really hope they play the 4-3-3 that they did against Brighton because I really like the front three of Tony and Buemo and, Wiss- and Visser rather than just the two of Tony and Buemo. Obviously, Tony occupies a lot of the defence. So if you've got Visser and Buemo both sides of him, I really think you can upset that that back four that Wolves are likely to play. So, yeah, it's 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 not something I'm, I'm massive on, but I just think at the odds, I don't think anybody's out there really trying to side with Wolves at nine to four. 
Well, this football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular Bet Builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. It's El Posico, the Graham Potter derby, as he takes his new Chelsea side to face his old flame Brighton. Roberto De Zerbi, the stylish stepdad, will be making awkward small talk with the Seagulls ex. Chelsea had a great Champions League win at Salzburg in midweek. Kai Havertz got a superb winner to delight the stands like me. See, we told you he was good. Uh, Jake, this could be fascinating, but what's the angle for betters? It could be fascinating, yeah. I, I think it should be really that interesting. Sounds like you tactical. think it won't be. <laughs> uh, well, I think it'll be an interesting tactical battle. Whether we see a lot of goals uh, right. remains to be seen. Um, because I was very, you know, I, when Potter was appointed, I think we were all of the mind that it was a good appointment, but it might take him a while to get going. And it's proven to be exactly the case. Um, they really have struggled so far, Chelsea. Obviously, injuries have impacted. His plans, you know, Reese James is a massive attacking outlet that's missing down the right hand side, and that's ultimately seen a massive decline in their in their attacking process. Which not lost yet, though. They've not lost yet, um, but if they keep playing the way they are, that that defeat's coming because they've not they've not been very good. The last three matches in the league have been really really bad. Um, away at Aston Villa, just Kepa magic was the only difference between them winning the game and and losing the game really. Uh, at Brentford, it was goal of straw, but they were comfortably second best based on the expected goals. Um, and against Manchester United, it was just that penalty. It was the only chance they created in the entire game, pretty much. Uh, if you take the penalty away, it was just 0.58 expected goals created, which is a really, really poor effort. Um, and overall, since Potter took over, I think it's five Premier League matches, so we're still working with small samples. Um, Chelsea have only averaged 1.19 non-penalty expected goals for per game, which is actually down on what they were doing under Thomas Tuchel at the start of the season. Um, so the attacking process is really, really struggling. It's really stalled. And you have to say that the schedule's not been that difficult for those matches either. You know, if you play Crystal Palace, you played Wolves, you played Aston Villa, you played Brentford, and then Man United at home. It's not that difficult a schedule. Uh, and you would have expected, I would have expected Chelsea to be averaging at least 1.7 expected goals over that stretch. So the fact that they're well below that is, is a massive concern. The flip side, obviously, is that defensively, generally still quite solid. Uh, 1.3 non-penalty expected goals against per game. But as you can see there, the two numbers, they're, they're, they're actually conceding more non-penalty expected goals on a per-game average than their opponents, which is a big concern moving forward. Um, and they go to a Brighton team who, you know, they're winless in five, but their performances have been really good. You know, they, they're really good away at Liverpool, created loads of good chances, um, actually nearly six big chances in that match, over two expected goals. Won the XG ball at home to Spurs in what was a, a pretty dire match. Uh, really unfortunate to lose to Brentford, created over two expected goals in that game. Um, and then against Forest in the last home match, absolutely just dominated the game, created loads of chances. It was vintage bright in that game. Just generate big chance after big chance and, and not score any of them. Uh, and they give Man City a good run for the money. So, I, I you know, the, the results suggest that they're in a, a bad place. I don't see it that way at all. I think they're still playing at a very, very good level. And at home this season, they've been uh, one of the best teams in the league. In fact, they've been the fifth best home team based on expected goal difference uh, per game. So this is going to be another really tough test for Chelsea. Uh, and the way in which they're attacking in particular has me massively concerned. And it wants me, it makes me want to get Brighton on side. Um, I think that, that you can you can back Brighton 
at uh, plus a quarter on the Asian handicap at 1.83, which means you get a half win if Brighton, uh, if the game ends in a draw, you get a full win if Brighton win. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if Brighton were the team to inflict Graham Potter's first defeat at Chelsea. Um, just obviously for that that emotional reason, the fact that they could get one over on the old boss that left them. Uh, and the underlying numbers just aren't stacking up for Chelsea. Um, uh, whereas Brighton are looking really, really strong and, and are, are much been much more consistent in the way in which they've been performing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to get Brighton on side. And at this moment in time, I am probably going to be keep opposing Chelsea over the next couple of weeks just because of the um, well, the, the underlying numbers, the mounting, the issue, the injury issues, and also I think the chopping and changing is not really doing. You know, obviously we know that the schedule is ridiculously tight, but I don't think he's played the same eleven in any of the matches so far. He's still trying to figure things out. He's still trying to give players opportunities to to show what they can do. And I think that lack of cohesiveness, that lack of understanding potentially, um, and the constant changing, I don't, I don't see that as a positive right now. Um, it might be post World Cup once he gets a handle on things, but um, yeah, Chelsea are definitely a team that I will be opposing in the next couple of weeks. I think if we'd done a questionnaire for listeners ahead of the season and asked the question, how many times do you think we use the phrase Kepper magic? I think we would have had a fat zero uh, across the boards, but he's done very well in the last few games, it has to be said. Uh, Mark, how do you see this one? Um, yeah, kind of, you know, I take all Jake's points. Uh, he makes some, some very fair points, but I'm actually going to be pro Chelsea about this. Um, quite surprised that you're available. They're available around 2.56 on the exchange to start with. As you say, they're unbeaten under Potter, six wins, three draws, zero defeats. I personally think that the chopping and changing, or as I would call it, the resting and rotating has, has been a positive uh, with the squad through a, a really sort of a intense period of, of, of matches. Compare it with, with Tottenham and what's happening at Spurs, where there wasn't a lot of rotation, particularly at the start of the season. He's tried to do a bit more recently. And I think Chelsea do or will be fresher for it. And I think tactically switching things up is, is obviously a bit of a positive, really, because Chelsea have very different ways of, of hurting him. And, and look, they've not been impressive uh, or massively impressive recently. They were spooked by United in that in that first half last week uh, who pressed them well, but I thought they came through the game against Salzburg really impressively. Uh, a team who would press high, like Brighton might do as well. A very energetic young side and I think they coped with that pretty well uh, and came through it with, with flying colours really. So they are a work in progress. They're far from flawless, obviously. We've seen that in recent performances, but I just think quality-wise there is a, a difference between the two teams uh, and I think confidence, you know, Stinch touched on it with Wolves, is becoming a bit of an issue with Brighton right now, being five about to win uh, and scoring just one goal in the last four. Um, you know, since that thriller at Anfield, really, uh, they lost that tight game against against Spurs, um, did the same against Brentford, drew against Forest, went dominating uh, away against City, very good, but still lost the game. And I think down to pure quality, that is the big difference to me in this game. Um, at home this season, you know, Jake talks about the XG, but where have we heard the story before that Brighton underperforming against their XG outputs? They've scored six goals in five home games. Five of those six goals came in one match, um, which is quite a, a staggering statistic, really. And against teams above them, Brighton have won just once, drawn twice and lost three. At the Amex, their long-term record at home, seven wins from 24 since the start of last season. They're just not a team I can really trust to kind of put in a, a performance worthy of picking up three points. So, just think if you're not ruthless ruthless enough, not clinical enough, particularly against elite opposition, you tend to be found out. And um, 
I was looking at Chelsea um, plus a zero, basically the same as draw no bet, around 1.85, which I thought was a, a very decent price. Chelsea were 1.73 in this fixture last season just to win it. Spurs were 2.2. Uh, Chelsea were actually 1.8 at Palace earlier this month. Odds on at Brentford around evens against Villa. Um, I think right now um, Brighton are being priced off similar prices as they were with with Potter in charge. And I think Chelsea are no worse than they were last season. Whereas Brighton, I think there is a question mark over whether they can or will be better than they have been under Potter. So a um, couple of question marks really around it. I just think price-wise, be happy with Chelsea. But I'm just going to take it a little bit further, dip into the bet builder. You can get Chelsea double chance under the three and a half goals at uh, 1.8. So a fraction shorter than the draw no bet price. But you're getting the draw on side as a winner uh, if there's uh, fewer than four goals. Uh, I can't see it being a bit of a shootout, despite what Deserby and his approach tends to be. I think Potter's much more restrained and controlled and will keep Brighton at arm's length. I love how polite everybody is on this show. Mark just went, I take all of Jake's points on board and then one by one, just drop them into the <laughs> shredder. Uh, worth bearing in mind that you can get a £5 free bet by staking a £5 bet builder on Manchester United against West Ham. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus, see gambleaware.org. We're going to have a full preview of that game on our Sunday show. That's the show that all the cool kids listen to. So make sure you're one on of those to Italy, Napoli continue to be absolutely incredible. Home and abroad, they won 1-0 at Roma last weekend with a super late goal from Victor Ossiman, who absolutely bodied Chris Smalling and then thrashed the ball into the far corner. Uh, talking of thrashing, they did exactly that to hapless Rangers in the Champions League in midweek. And Stinch this week, they've got Sassuolo. Yeah, it's not a football-only better podcast without a Napoli bet, is it, Kev? Yes, quite right, too. I think it might be five bets, and we've had five winners, so no reason to, to oppose them whatsoever. Stay yeah, on that train. Stay on indeed. that train. I mean, that it. we make maybe make a light-hearted joke of it, but it's true. If you've got a, an angle that, you, that the value is still there week in, week out, just keep backing it, because it won't last forever. Um, whether that be the odds staying the same or whether you know it's football so there will be some volatility with results so yeah just keep going while you can so I've probably given it the kiss of death now um, yes. but there they placed, <laughs> they placed Sassuolo on Saturday afternoon and uh, unsurprisingly Napoli uh, 2 to 7 so it's kind of like how can we make that 2 to 7 like a, a backable price essentially um, so I'm looking at Napoli to win and both teams to score at six to four. I think two to seven v six to four is is certainly a, a nice increase. You know, Napoli have won 14 of an unbeaten 16 matches this season. Nine of those 14 wins have seen both teams score, and that, that includes seven of the last eight. And I'll come on to it in a second, but I don't think there's any surprise with the, with the schedule. Uh, and they scored a whopping 46 goals whilst conceding 13. So, you know, I don't think it's a big ask to say, can they outscore the opposition? But they might give the opposition a few chances. That's essentially what we're saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a tiring schedule, as we've talked about a few times this season. This is going to be their eighth game this month. And come November, they're going to have four games in 12 days. So, you know, you have to do some rotation. Um you know, Claudio Ranieri was a pioneer back in the day. He shouldn't have been labelled the Tinkerman. He was, he was, uh, he was, he was, he, he was, uh, he was uh, an expert before his time. Um, but yeah, there will be some rotation, and with hang that, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> You're being nice about Claudio Ranieri. What's going oh, on? In, Who is, is this? Enjoy, he's enjoying <laughs> his time off. He's, okay. you know, he's fine. He's, 
he's having a, I don't know where, I assume he's in Italy somewhere enjoying, you know, uh, Serie A football with no pressure. You know, now, if you're, if you're a relatively new listener, you'll be thinking, what, what are they talking about? When Claudio Ranieri was uh, hired by Watford, uh, Stinch was not a fan of that appointment, as I seem to remember. And he was right in the end, to be fair. Carry on. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, I mean, I assume he's moving into retirement now, right? Like, he is he is in his 70s, so I would imagine He'll he's... He'll never retire. Yeah. Not really. No? Not in his head. No. Maybe he'll have another go. I don't know, some random international team that, that will then go on and lose against the Pharaohs. Um, yeah, so Sassuolo, got to mention them, obviously, because they've had a bit of transition over the summer. They obviously sold Raspadori and Scamacca, who are part of their kind of fabled front three, front four, that were scoring goals for fun, really, in, in a lot of matches. Um, but they still managed to score against both Atalanta and Inter. So I think with that rest and rotation, what happens is is you have some players that may be a bit rusty, maybe not used to playing with it, with each other. So sometimes you lose some of that fluidity and organisation. So I think it does give the opposition opportunities Mark's already mentioned about backing uh, Man City to win and both teams to score. Um, it's sort of like a, a similar sort of uh, theme, I think, with these big teams that are playing regularly. Uh, very positive that uh, Domenico Berardi came back from injury last weekend. He came back off the bench. So I'm hoping he starts. Also, uh, Hamad Traore is, is back available as well. Um, and Napoli won this match 6-1 at the end of April so I could definitely envisage something something similar essentially as I say Napoli outscoring Sassuolo with Sassuolo getting on the bench uh, getting on the score sheet uh, speaking of Berardi 16 goals and 14 assists in 37 starts since the beginning of last season which is absolutely incredible um, so you might want to look at him as 4-1 to one for a goal he's 4-1 to one for an assist or you could go for the 21-10 to 10 that he does either which, which seems quite reasonable um, he actually got an assist in each of the last three meetings with, with Napoli. So he clearly enjoys uh, some freedom and and it leads to a decent output in terms of creativity. And talking of assists, I, I really like the look of uh, Mario Rui to register an assist at 4-1. to one. He's had an assist in eight of his last 19 starts, which is very good for, for a left back. Um, and you only have to watch Napoli this season to see how high they're able to get their fullbacks up the pitch. He got a lovely assist for uh, Simeone against Rangers, and he crossed sort of almost in line with with Rangers' penalty area. Just so, it just shows you how high he gets up there. Um, and he's actually Napoli's second most creative player this season. He's averaging over two key passes a, a match, and a key pass is a pass that leads to a to a chance on goal. And given the fact that the odds suggest here that Napoli are expected to score two and a half goals, I think there's a a very good chance that you know he he could be involved in some of those chance creations so yeah quite a few bets there in a, in a in a napoli game that ultimately i think they'll come out on top so stinch is on the napoli train what do i have here let me just dig it out oh it's the christopher and kunku drum <laughs> bang, bang, bang. there we go so folks you may remember last weekend we said Christopher and Kunku to score against Augsburg. Lo and behold, even though he'd had a wrist operation a few days earlier, he came off the bench and curled in a free kick and helped them come back from 3-0 down to draw 3-3 with Augsburg. RB Leipzig beats Real Madrid in midweek in the Champions League. Who scored? Yes, Christopher and Kunku. Now he's going to play Bayer Leverkusen. They're rubbish, folks. They're no good. 
Bayer Leverkusen. They're really fragile. They give up loads of goals. They gave up two against Atletico Madrid in midweek. They gave up two against Wolfsburg. Edmund Tapsoba, who was linked with Arsenal, linked with loads of clubs. He's gone to pieces. I'm not even sure it's the same guy. I think it might be an imposter. The real one's in a basement somewhere. So, yes, Leverkusen are falling apart. They've got a rubbish goalkeeper as well. Lukas Radetzky, he's no good. Having short sleeves doesn't mean you're a good goalkeeper. So, given all of that, Christopher Nkunku scoring loads of goals. He's 2.5 on the sports book. If you have a look at the exchange, by the time we get towards the game, it might be even bigger than that. So get on that. Christopher Nkunku, anytime goal scorer against Chabi Alonso's very fragile Bayer Leverkusen. So, now, let's go back to the Premier League. I lost my place there. Uh, I was so excited about Christopher Nkunku potentially scoring. Uh, this will excite you. Crystal Palace against Southampton. It will excite you. It will, honestly. Uh, Palace just above evens here, Jake. Justification for that, really? Yeah, Is definitely. there any? Um, I think that there's, there's probably three or four teams in my mind that are must-back when they're playing at home. And they're at a decent enough price. Uh, and one of those is Palace. The other's Brentford. So Brentford were very close to, to making my um, selections this week as well at, the, at a juicyish price. I just think this Crystal Palace team, um, you know, they, they're quite low down in the table, but they've had a really tough start to the season from a schedule standpoint. And they've made, you know, they, they've not been at their best the last couple of home games, but they've still come from behind to win. Uh, and I think they'll have more than enough for this Southampton team to get another home win on the board. Um, the home home process has been sensational since Patrick Vieira came in. Um, they've won the XG battle in 17 of 25 at home and averaged 1.58 expected goals for and just 1.07 again. So they're, they're, from a dominance perspective, extremely dominant on a game-to-game -game basis when playing at Selhurst Park. Um, and Southampton have really struggled away from home this season. You know, they, um, I know they had the win at Bournemouth last time out, but they, they're really struggling to create chances. Just a 0.8 expected goals for per away game for, for the Saints. Uh, so yeah, I, I was expecting to see Close to around a four to five mark for Crystal Palace, a team that I really like um, at the start of the season. And I still really like for a top half finish. Um, so, yeah, I'm more than happy to, to back them at just over even money on the exchange. Now, it's my favourite bit of the show. It's your favourite bit of the show. If we were submitting the podcast for an award, this is the bit we'd send. Scott Watch with Mark O'Hare. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty furious, to be honest, to see last week's selection lose. Uh, Falkirk to win and over one and a half goals. Falkirk team goals wasn't available at the time of recording, so I took the win and over one and a half goals. They lost 3-2. So anyway, we move on to... Uh, we're going to dip back to Scottish League 2. That's favorite. as furious as Mark gets, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a week. I'm over it now. But yeah, just... Uh, um, Scottish League 2 is our favourite of, of all the Scottish leagues, isn't it? So um, looking at a potential thriller between uh, East Fife and Elgin uh, on Saturday, where over two and a half goals and both teams to score is priced up at around 10 to 11. Uh, that appeals to me massively. East Fife tabled back-to-back -back wins, 3-1 and 4-1. But they're a really, really peculiar team. Those wins are away from home. Um, they're unbeaten in six away, yet at home they've lost four or five. Yeah, they're sitting in third place in the league and they're rock bottom of the shot ratio tables as well. So yeah, trying to sort of juggle all that kind of information is quite hard to work out what kind of team they are. But uh, they are in the business of getting goals. They've scored nine of 11. They've kept only two clean sheets. They've seen overs cop in eight of those 11. And they're coming up against one of the, the better teams in the division for goals outputs in Elgin. Uh, the visitors are averaging 3.64 goals per game. Eight of 11 have gone overs. Seven of 11 have gone over three and a half. They've scored in 10 of 11 and kept just 
for two clean sheets themselves in that 11-game sample as well. Elgin are the second top scorers, the third worst defence, and their away games this season have ended 2-2, 2-2, 2-1, 3-3 and 2-3. So should be plenty of goals, should be plenty of entertainment. Collectively, Overs and BTDS has banked in 69% of their combined 22 Scottish League 2 tussles this season. We're getting close to evens on a repeat, and I think that's a, a nice wager to have in Scotland. What a lovely piece of broadcasting that was. I enjoyed that very much. Uh, just uh, one question, though. I'm really intrigued by this. So you talk about teams at that level being curious or kind of unusual or hard to pin down. Is that because of the quality of the players? It's difficult to kind of get that consistency at that level. Or do you just find that eventually stuff settles down at whatever level you're looking to bet at? Uh, probably more of the former uh, and, and a little bit of the latter. Um, there is not a huge amount of difference between the, the playing ability of teams at this level. Uh, obviously, you do get a few kind of standout teams who will sort of stride their way and, and comfortably win the league. And you also get a couple of teams at the bottom who are, are nowhere near good enough for that for that sort of level. But uh, ultimately, it's, it's a team of 10, 12 teams. So very small small divisions. And the playing pool is pretty pretty small up in Scotland outside of the top two tiers. So, yeah, the standard is, is differing. And... Obviously, team news uh, can be vital, really. If a, team, if a team's missing their star player, it will probably impact them a lot more than, say, Manchester City missing Erlen Haaland this weekend if he is yeah. absent. So, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of volatility uh, and it can be quite hard to sort of pin down teams. They are quite quirky at this stage. But, um, yeah, there's uh, often a lot of patterns you can look towards. And more often than not, there's a bit of consistency there if, if you look sort of beyond the, the full-time results. See, he always thinks I'm taking the mick every week, but I genuinely do enjoy that piece of the podcast. Uh, now it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a betting feature so beloved that Paul Hollywood would give it a handshake. Do you know who Paul Hollywood is, Mark? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Right. He, 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 on the sly. On the sly, he's absorbing more pop culture. It's very disturbing to me. I'm not sure I like it. (laughs) Uh, The way this works is that the three guys come up with uh, a selection each ahead of the weekend's action. And our lovely traders wrap them up in a boosted treble just for you. So, Jake Osgathorpe, let's start with you. Okay, I'm going to go for a game that we've not touched on um, in the Premier League. Fulham v Everton. And I'm going to go for over 2.5 goals. Um, Fulham have just been a very fun watch. They're good. They're really good. I've commentated on their last couple of games and they're a lot of fun. I uh, was saying at the start of the season, maybe not on this podcast, but um, I'm a a big Marco Silva fan. You go on other podcasts? What? (laughs) No, no, of course not. Of course I don't. Sorry. Um, Yeah, I'm a big Marco Silva fan. It it was unfairly sad. I didn't expect that. (laughs) (laughs) Unfairly sacked at Everton. I was very, very happy to see him get another chance in the Premier League. Uh, plays a very attacking brand of football. And that's what we're seeing from Fulham. They're creating loads of good chances, but defensively, they are hapless at times. Um, and I think Everton will start to play more on the front foot now. They've got a settled back line under Lampard. Um, but defensively, they they also look really bad when travelling. Over two expected goals against conceded per game. So, yeah, I think Overs is, uh, is a really good chance uh, at the Craven Cottage. So, yeah, I, I, Mitrovic is probably going to bag another hat-trick. Mark, you don't go on other podcasts, do you? No, no, not at all. Good, good. I, I should hope not. What's your selection? 
Um, I'm going to go to uh, Sunday as well, uh, a game I'll talk about in more detail on Sunday's show, which is where all the cool kids hang out. And uh, I'll back both teams to score when Brest take on Rams in Liga. Wonderful stuff. And Stinch, you're a faithful guy. I know that. What is your selection? On the Betfair Football Only Better podcast, I will choose under 2.5 goals in Man United v West Ham because I'm surprised to see it's evens. So it's the outsider of the two. I don't think either of these two are that fluid right now in attack. They're juggling a tight schedule with playing in the league and in Europe. And they're both actually in the top five for expected goals against. So the defences are performing quite well in reducing and restricting high quality chances. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Now, on our Sunday show, which, as we've said, is where all the cool kids hang out. So if you're not there, well, that's up to you. But really, you should be hanging out with the Sunday community. Uh, Arsenal game, Manchester United game. It's all in there. Loads of good tips. Uh, We've also got lots of good preview content on our website, betting.betfair.com. Not just Premier League, but Football League as well. And we've got all of the top European leagues too. From Jake, from Mark, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now.